90.3 Near FM Good evening. You're listening to Near FM on 90.3 FM and online on near.ie. My name is Carol Dempsey. Welcome to our live programme, which will tackle an ever-increasing problem in Irish society, namely domestic abuse. The programme has two main objectives. One, to inform people about the scourge, and two, to assist anyone who finds themselves in a domestic abuse situation to seek help. If you know anyone who is trying to cope with this issue, please contact them now and persuade them to listen to this live programme on Near FM, 90.3 FM. The programme has three parts. A. Provision of basic facts on domestic abuse in Ireland. B. A radio drama written by a local playwright, Dennis Bourne, and provided by the Near Drama Company. And C. A discussion on the problem by a panel of people with experience in this area. You can contact the programme by texting on 087 69 44 500 or telephone us on 01 867 1190. Deborah Gaffney is ready to receive your texts or phone calls. I now hand you over to Neve Murphy who will provide you with background information on this topic. In July 2005, the National Crime Council, in association with the ESRI, published a report entitled Domestic Abuse of Women and Men in Ireland. The authors, Dorothy Watson and Sarah Parsons, defined domestic abuse as a pattern of physical, emotional or sexual behaviour between partners in an intimate relationship that causes or risks causing significant consequences for the person. They went on to explain that abuse can be physical, such as slapping, punching, kicking, verbal threats, sexual, actual or attempted forced sexual intercourse, emotional, such as humiliation, depriving money, preventing contact with friends or family, name-calling. Some of their findings were overall in one in seven women suffered domestic abuse, one in 11 physical abuse, one in 12 sexual abuse, one in 13 emotional abuse. However, 50% of women interviewed cited emotional abuse to be the worst thing that happened to them. 93% said they were very frightened by this. 80% said this experience had a major impact on their lives. Nine years later, the situation had worsened. A major survey was published earlier this year 2014 by the European Agency for Fundamental Rights, EU RFA. This trans-European report identified that one in four Irish women have suffered physical or sexual abuse since the age of 15, but the majority did not tell anyone. Irish women are far less likely to contact Gardaí or any other organisation after suffering abuse. 60% of those who looked for help for moral support felt their needs were not met. 25% said they did not receive sufficient support to protect them from future violence. 31%, almost 500,000 women, has endured emotional abuse from a partner. 
Subsequent to this report, in August this year, Professor Patricia Casey from UCD called emotional abuse as the hidden hurt in Ireland. She argues that although victims may be left with no physical marks, it is one of the most common, harmful forms of abuse. Furthermore, she suggests that adults who suffer this abuse need professional help to cope with this sinister form of abuse. Only last month, the Women's Aid annual report informed us that 74% of women who contacted them for help were receiving abuse at the hands of an intimate male partner. 58% were living with abuse for more than six years. 65% of cases involved emotional abuse. Although Women's Aid are in existence for 40 years, only a third of the required hostel space is available after all that time. Delays in accessing the courts is a big problem. The next available slot is January next year. Ursula Regan, chairperson, states that having legislation is one thing, but the hardest is making it real. There's poor follow-up, lack of concern, political will. All this domestic abuse data fully supports the contention of Sharon O'Halloran, director of Safe Ireland, that we are dealing with the tip of the iceberg. And now to our radio drama entitled A Woman, A Dog and a Walnut Tree by Dennis Bourne. Please remember that you can contact the programme by texting us on 087 69 44 500 or phoning us on 01 867 1190. Many people have queried the unusual name of the play. The playwright has advised us that it comes from a very old English proverb. A woman, a dog and a walnut tree. The more you beat them, the better they be. This disturbing verse sets the scene for our play. What's all the frowning about? Thelma, I'm bad enough without you starting. I'm not used to this lark. Is it supposed to be bubbling like the clappers? Not that it's any of my business, but what did you normally feed your kids with before you came in here? Haven't you ever heard of McDonald's or the chipper? Take a look at this mess for me, will you? It's like lava. Tin spaghetti's only supposed to be gently heated. What you've got there wouldn't be out of place in a witch's cauldron. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Don't mention it. Uh, you'll have to make allowances for me, seeing as I'm only here a couple of weeks. I'll get the hang of it soon. Do you want me to take those bowls out to your kids? You can have a sneaky smoke while I'm gone. Thanks, but I'll do it myself. They're still trying to get used to this place. Don't worry about your kids. I never had any of my own, but from what I've got to learn about them in here, they're more resilient than I'd ever imagined. And resilient means tough, Marge, just in case you accuse me of talking over your head again. I'm not a complete gobshite, you know. Where I was dragged up, 
Resilience was most of our middle names. Sorry. Oh. oh, I'd probably have to ram it down their throats. They've never had spaghetti in their lives before. Wish me luck. I'll have a quick drag myself, so. Good morning, Amanda. You'll get caught, you know. Then we'll all have to listen to a lecture. You can smell that halfway down the corridor. If the smoke alarm goes off, there'll be hell to pay. Oh, don't worry about it. It's only a cigarette. What are they going to do? Call the police and tell them I'm breaking the smoking ban? That would be a bit of a letdown for the boys in blue after the dealings they've had with me already. I wish you wouldn't talk about that, Thelma. I'm trying to forget the police, even though I had them on speed died a while back. They were back and forth of the house like yo-yos before I finally gave up calling them all together. If you don't have a fractured arm, some people think you're making it up. Lucky for me, I was well and truly in bits that final night. Or I might be stitching mailbags now. Look, Helma, I don't want to hear any more about... And the ridiculous part of it is how long you're prepared to put up with it out of sheer stupid pride. At that time, it's more important that your friends and neighbours continue to think of what a wonderful marriage you're in. Tell me about it. But you're getting better by the day, aren't you? Well, if you want to know the truth, I'm still terrified. There should be proper locks and alarms fitted to every window in this place. Anyone could break in here in the middle of the night. Oh, stop fretting about the windows. I told you before, they're nailed tight. And the main door would need a battering ram to break it down once it's locked for the night. Yeah, I suppose. But it still doesn't stop me worrying about it. Only for the sleeping pills, I don't think I'd ever close my eyes. You know, you should try kicking those. I know what I'm talking about here. It's one hell of a job coming off them. I was on them for a solid year after my little escapade. And boy, did I miss them when I finally came to my senses. I was walking around in a daze for quite a while before the effects wore off. Well, right now I need them, Thelma. It's your call, but they'll only help you in the short term. You'd be better off without them. What do you want me to do? Stay awake all night staring at the ceiling, thinking every creak I hear is that bastard trying to break in like he swore he would when he discovered I'd hightailed it here with Jenny? I told you, Amanda, that's not going to happen. This place is like Fort Knox. Tell that to my brain, then. There's not a day goes by that I haven't been thinking about the hour of reckoning. He sent me a letter only a week after I arrived here. Did you know that? No. Oh, lovey-dovey, and how sorry he was for everything, pleading with me to come home, and that everything would be different from here on in. Almost sobbing on the page about how much he missed me and Jenny. Didn't think he'd be able to go on without us any longer. The usual crap. When I never answered, he got hold of the phone number here. I'd smashed my mobile phone to bits on the kitchen table, left it with a note telling him we were both gone for good. He was like a maniac when he rang. The things he said to me were even worse than what I had to put up when we were living together. You just wouldn't believe the half of them. Only too well I would. And do you know something? I was the one who felt guilty afterwards, despite everything he did in the past. But you finally came to your senses. You proved that when you left him. 
Some women never do. You might not realise it, Amanda, but you're getting there. Then why am I so frightened all the time? Don't let the bastard's threats get you down. He can't touch you in here. Besides, I'm a light sleeper and I keep a butcher's knife under my pillow. An exact replica of Exhibit A. Just scream and I'll come running. Oh, that's nice to know, Talba. I must rustle up a bit of steak tonight before I go to bed, seeing as you'll have the cutlery handy. And the pair are you sure this place is really what it says on the tin? I haven't stumbled into a funny farm by mistake, have I? What makes you think that, March? Ah, nothing. Just a hunch. Here and tell my arm to the teeth. Might have something to do with it. It's things like that that make me think. Oh, maybe I'm in a booby hatch instead of a refuge centre for battered women. How did the spaghetti go down? Ah, don't talk to me. You'd think I was trying to poison them. Sean almost got hysterical when he saw it. I had a hell of a job convincing him it wasn't a bowl of maggots. The other pair took a bit of convincing too. But once they got the taste of it, it wasn't too bad. Oh, I had to shovel in a few mouthfuls myself, forced to get them started. Here, you can have it. I hope you didn't burn your mouth. Funny. Someone might have warned me the bloody thing was so sensitive to a decent bit of heat. It wasn't exactly a three-course meal you were preparing. Well, it will be shortly. I gave them bars of chocolate earlier. And as soon as I'm finished this fag, I'll make them a cup of tea. Seeing that there doesn't seem to be any coke or Fanta knocking around the place. When they've had the tea, that's three courses as far as I'm concerned. I can hardly get Jenny to eat anything anymore. Amanda, if all you do yourself is eat toast, it's not exactly setting a great example, is it? I don't think I ever saw you have anything else since you got here. You're kidding me. How long have you been here, Amanda? Three months. Are you serious? Nothing but toast? And that's all I can stomach. Anything else makes me queasy. You're lucky I arrived when I did so. You can't go on like that. And I'll take that young one off under your wings while I'm at it. As soon as I'll have the... I'll, I'll soon have the pair of you in danger of breaking the bathroom scales. With your culinary expertise, that should be worth the price of a ringside seat. What does that mean? And why the hell can't you say something now and then that makes sense? In plain words, Marge, both of us know you can't boil an egg. You told me so yourself. Who said anything about boiling bloody eggs? Oh, it's just a figure of speech. How do you propose to turn Amanda and Jenny into a couple of dumplings when you can't cook? I didn't say anything about cooking, did I? Then what are you going to do? Simple. Next week's Children's Allowance Day, or as it's called in my neck of the woods... We know what it's called, Marge, and thanks just the same. But whatever you had in mind, I can manage myself and my daughter quite all right. Thank you very much. Sure, all I'm trying to do is help. Telma tells me you haven't set foot outside of here since the day you moved in. I look after things in that direction for you. A couple of Big Macs and large strawberry milkshakes and the pair of you know won't know what hit you once you get your jaws around a decent bit of beef you'll be as right as rain and begging for more i'll build you up in no time i don't really think so marge i couldn't stomach no there's no reason to thank me i'll be getting a clatter of them for my own kids anyway 
when I collect me allowance. They've been pestering me about them since we got here. Honestly, Marge, that's very kind of you, but it would only be a waste. I wouldn't be able to eat anything like that. And neither would Jenny. Ah, they won't go to waste. Don't worry about that part of it. My crowd will savage them, as well as their own, if you can't manage them. But I bet you lapped them up if you gave them a try. God, I'd eat them off a tramp's arse myself, and I'm very particular about what I shove down. Have you ever even tried McDonald's? No, but... Ah, there you go. You'll be beating them down the road every single day once you get one into you. You'll have the colour back in your cheeks in no time. And Jenny will be doing cartwheels out there instead of sitting staring into space. Marge, didn't you say something about making tea for your kids? Oh, Christ, I was forgetting all about them. See you later, Amanda. You'd make a great diplomat altogether, Marge. What the hell are you talking about now? That bit about Jenny. You really shouldn't have said it. Why? She could do with something to book her up. All I did was to offer to get her a bit of decent nourishment for a change. What's wrong with that? Not that. The part about her staring into space. Look, I know you didn't mean to upset anyone, but both of them have had a really rough time of it before they made it in here. And the rest of us haven't? Do you think I'm here because I was showered with shagging roses every day? You don't understand, Marge. Jenny's... Jenny's been sexually abused since she was six years of age. That on top of Amanda being battered from pillar to post whenever the fancy took him. Oh no, why didn't you tell me before now? I didn't think it my place to say anything about a thing like that. The lousy bastard. You know what I'd do if my fella had ever touched one of my kids that way? I'd wait till he was fast asleep. And I'd pour every last drop of boiling water in that kettle over his equipment. Then I'd batter his head in with a hammer. They could do what they like with me afterwards. Then where would your kids be? Oh, I never thought of that. But I'd have done it anyway. I know I would. How old is Jenny now? Jenny is just eight years of age. Two years? Having to live with that? Why didn't she get the hell out of there long before she did? She didn't know anything about it. Ah, come on. Something like that happening to your only daughter for that length of time, under your own roof, and you wouldn't know about it? What, was she blind or something? No, I wasn't blind. And and I didn't know. But when I did discover, I got out as fast as I could. Oh, Christ. I'm sorry, Amanda. I didn't mean anything. It's just me and me big bloody mouth. I don't know when to keep it closed. How did you find out? I... I just did. What in the name of God sort of world are we living in when you can't even protect your own child from something like that? At least all I had to contend with were regular belts in the jaw and the odd kicking when he lost the head altogether. But this... This is too much. Oh, and I had to be the one to set you off. Oh, it's not your fault. I live with it every hour of every day inside of my head anyway. I should never have told you, Marge. She'd have found out sooner or later. Everyone else in here knows anyway. 
I'm going back to my room. I'm not hungry at the moment. God, I'll say one thing about Thelma. She knows how to dress. In those boots and that outfit. She could pass for a model. A bit wasted in here, though. Nurse's uniform would be more appropriate. How come? Didn't you know she's married to a doctor? No way, really? Surprised she didn't tell you, seeing as she was giving out my history so freely. Ah, uh, look, I didn't oh, really mean to... Oh, it doesn't matter now. As I said, it wouldn't be long before someone else told you. I suppose. A doctor? You'd think they'd be on the other side of the fence, wouldn't you? I'm only here two weeks and I'm learning things I've hardly have believed six months ago. Oh, believe it. She's here over a year now. And I've heard she was in a terrible state when she initially arrived, after the hospital discharged her. He'd been laying into her on and off for years, before it finally sunk into her head that she wasn't going to take it anymore. Shattered teeth and a broken jaw, and that was it. She ran him through with a butcher's knife and left him for dead. She what? Only missed his heart by a couple of inches. Otherwise, he was a goner. Ah, the stupid bitch. How do you mean? Going to all that trouble and not finishing the job. (laughs) Maybe she was lucky she didn't. They were both drunk at the time. They'd just come back from some party or another when he had a go at her in the kitchen. She said he did it after she felt her jaw crack. (laughs) Ah, now being drunk is no excuse. Just because they've taken a few too many, it doesn't give them the right to treat us like punch bags. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about her. With the few jars under her belt, she should have made sure to polish that bastard off while she was at it. She'd have done the world a favour, ridden it of a swine like that. She thought she had. Maybe it's just as well, though. She mightn't have got away with it if she'd stabbed him five or six times. Mm. Her plea of self-defence could have sounded a bit far-fetched if she'd inflicted multiple wounds instead of just the one. Well, maybe you're right. Or maybe you're not. For all we know, oh, he might be out there right now, making some other woman's life a misery. I wouldn't know. Just imagine doing that to anyone. Who? Him or her? How could she? Don't tell me you didn't feel like doing that sa- same thing to your husband after what you caught him at. Oh, I felt a lot of things. But I never had the courage to do anything like that. Not in a million years. Not even in self-defence? No. My kind of self-defence was curling up in a ball on the floor and protecting my head until his rages passed. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Once there are kids involved, it's a different story. A couple of times, I swore to myself I'd swing for him the next time he came at me. But then all sorts of horrible thoughts of what might happen to the kids if I did gut the bastard stop me. I took the beatings for their sakes, really. Funny what mothers do to protect them, isn't it? But I tell you straight. If I had a had a Jenny episode, he'd be pushing up the daisies as God is my judge. I wouldn't be able to stop myself. Just thinking about what you went through, I can feel me blood begin to boil that a lot of the perverts who do this stuff like that get away with it didn't even bother reporting that part of it. It would have been his words against mine anyway. Poor Jenny was too traumatised to let 
her relive it all over again with police women, child psychologists and all the rest of it. I just couldn't bring myself to heap that on her no more than I'd be capable of doing what Thelma did. Um, I'd better bring this toast out to Jenny and see if I can get her to eat it. Okay. Christ, when I think of what I put up with for all those years... I'm home! Marge! Where's me shagging dinner? Fish and chips again! And a bloody cold into the bargain! What do you expect, Joe? They were hot two hours ago. Did you want me to bring them down to the boozer for you? Don't talk to me like that, you stupid bitch. Get one of the kids run over and get me some decent food in McDonald's. And tell them not to be quick about it, I'm famished. I've no money. What the hell are you talking about? You get your housekeeping allowance every week without fail. I'm tired telling you, it's not enough. And if you weren't so fond of the gargle, I might be able to manage better. And if you didn't puff fags from morning till night, there'd be plenty to see us through the week. Julia! Get your ass in here. Julia! I want you to go across the mackers for me. She's gone to the pictures. Ah, enough money for that then. Uh, get one of the others to go. And tell her to hurry before I keel over from starvation. They're both gone with Julia. And if you think I'm going for you, you got another thing coming. What? You heard me, you drunken tick. I told you already, you're on your last warning. I'm not taking any more of your crap. We'll see about that. Last warning. You're like a stuck record with your last bloody warnings. If you don't get your fat arse over the mackers right now, I'll beat the living crap out of you. Hit me again and I'm out of here for good. And I'll take the kids with me, I mean it. And this is the last time I'm going to tell you, Joe. And where do you think you'll go? Who the hell's going to take you and three kids? And hells and feed you for nothing. I'm the one provides everything around here, and don't you forget it. Now get over to Macca's like I told you, right now. Go screw yourself. Who the hell do you think you're talking don't to? Start, Joe. Don't start, Joe. You stupid ah! bitch. Ah! Oh, you ah! deserve that. Bastard. <laughs> ah, the hell with you. I'm going back down to the abuser. Women like you drive men to gargle. You know that. Still in the kitchen, Marge. Hiding from those kids of yours. Everything all right? You look a bit dreamy or something. I was just thinking I should have come here a lot sooner than I did. Tell us, tell me, what did it feel like when you did it? Sounds like Amanda spilled the beans on my moment of madness. To tell you the truth, I can't remember very much about it. And me champing at the bit to hear every detail. 
How in the name of God could you forget something like that? Oh, I'll never forget it. Believe you me. It's just that it's all a bit hazy, if you know what I mean. I was drunk at the time. But not enough to stop you grabbing the right kind of weapon to stab the bastard with. That's exactly what the prosecution put to the jury. But it didn't stick, if you'll pardon the pun. When they saw the photographs of the state of me that night, it was no contest. It took them less than an hour to acquit me of all charges. Good for them. But stop beating around the brush and bring on the interesting part. What was it like? You know, the sensation of I hardly remember. Don't give me that. Tell the truth. You meant to put him in a box, didn't you? How would you possibly know a thing like that? Because I've been there, that's why. I was on the verge of it so many times. I know exactly what made you do it. I told you, I don't remember much of it. That's a load of bull. I can see it in your face. You're reliving it ever since I asked you. Am I? What makes you so sure you're right? Because nobody could wipe out a single second of something like that. I don't care how pissed they were. You wouldn't have done it at all if you didn't know what you were about. He might have killed me if I hadn't done something to defend myself. Do you see that jaw? It was wired up for five months and four of my teeth were knocked clean out of my head for good measure. You're surely not suggesting. I'm not telling you the way it really happened or that I was waiting for the right opportunity to present itself. Are you? But you didn't finish the job. Now that was careless. He just got lucky, that's all. Two or three less drinks, my hand would have been steadier. I knew it. You had it all planned, hadn't you? What are you talking about? You know bloody well what I mean. Out with it. Are you sure you want to know, Marge? I didn't notice what you were up to most of the night, Thelma. I may be half cut, but I'm not blind. I don't know what you're talking about, Michael. It was such a nice party, too. It's always the same with you. The minute you see me having a few drinks and beginning to enjoy myself, you insist on dragging me home. And why would that be, would you think? God almighty, we're not going to have this again, are we? It's all in your imagination. I'm tired telling you that. You think I don't see what you're up to? You invariably get tanked and make a show of me in front of my colleagues. They'll be winking at each other and laughing behind my back in the morning. Don't be ridiculous. I'm being nothing of the sort. And what am I supposed to have done this time? Don't talk to me as though I'm a fool. I was watching you going through your usual routine. Oh, here we go again. Don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about either. Oh, I know what you're talking about only too well, Michael. You've repeated variations of it so many times over the years. I could give you a half a dozen versions off by heart. But none of them would be true. No! Then what the hell were you doing flashing your boobs at every man in sight you thought might be interested in having a knifeful? You're getting worse. Do you know that? You're the one who always demands I look my best when we go out. 
Then I can't have a sociable conversation with the man, but you insist on turning it into some mythical sexual encounter. It's got to stop. I can't take it anymore. It's driving me crazy. You need to see someone about your paranoia before it gets out of hand altogether. You're nothing but a slut. I'm married to a whore. And I'm not good enough for you. And look at me when I'm talking to you. Look at me! I'm looking at you. And every time I do, I like less of what I see. Either you need help or you're a natural-born sadist who just go on and on, no matter what I say. Well, which are you? Are you and do you enjoy carrying on this way, working yourself up to the point where the hitting begins? Anything you've got, you deserved. You've been the one who's always asked for it. I watch, I see, flaunting yourself to deliberately provoke me. Just like tonight, you were missing for half an hour. Where were you? Oh, what's the use? I give up. You might as well know the truth. Seeing as it's what you believe anyway, no matter what I say. Are you sure you want to hear where I was? Don't play games with me, Thelma. Who are you with? Harry Thompson. Who the hell is Harry Thompson? Oh, you know Harry Thompson better than I do. I, I, I never heard of Harry Thompson. Of course you did. He's the one who lives in that warped imagination of yours. The one who comes to the house every day while you're tending the sick and the needy. The stud who bangs me on the kitchen table until my eyes go pop. That Harry Thompson. Recognise him now? You bitch! Any more talk like that and you'll regret it. Why? Because you can't hump me like Harry can? Is that what's bothering you? Is that why you let fly with your fists when you're not up to it the other way? And you know something else? You were never any good in this. Then why did you marry me in the first place? Oh, why do you think, you gullible idiot? Number one was that size does matter. And I really fancy the width of your wallet once I learned how substantial it was. And number two, I thought at least your pathetic sexual technique might improve over time, despite your Boy Scout bayonet. But you could never get the hang of it, no matter how hard you tried. Add that to the fact that you're firing blanks. We're still childless, and that's you all wrapped up in one useless package. And we both know it's you, because I've been checked out in that department. Anything else you want to know about your inadequacies while we're on the subject? You heartless bitch! Coming out with all this now just to get at me for a few indiscretions I've been guilty of over the years. I'd never have raised a hand to you in my life if you didn't have it coming. You make me do it with the way you carry on. Oh, uh, and another thing you should know. I fake it every time I'm with you. While you're working yourself up into a frenzy, I'm thinking about whether I'll have shredded wheat or cornflakes for my breakfast. And wishing you were someone else. Someone like Harry Thompson, who knows how to satisfy a woman. You fucking bitch! I'm no, fucking I don't know. You no. fucking slut! Stop! You fucking no! No! Fucking whore! No. I'm no, no, fucking no, 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 You no, talk no, to no, me like no, that! You no, fuck! No, Jesus! No, what? What? No! no. Oh! Jesus! God! Oh! oh, oh. What what have I done? What have I done? 
So there you have it, Marge. Exactly the way it happened. It was him or me. I have been battered into oblivion otherwise. You really said all those things to him? More or less. I'd had enough. Sounds to me like you were goading him to come after you. Were you? Think what you like. All I know is that I was at breaking point. Christ almighty, Amanda. What's wrong? You look absolutely dreadful. What is it, Amanda? Read this. It's another letter from him. Let me see. Don't pay any attention to that type of nonsense, Amanda. He hasn't a hope in hell in succeeding with something like that. It will be laughed out of court. What's it about? It's from her husband. Basically what it's saying is that he's taking a court action to have Jenny return to his custody. What? Exactly. Did you ever hear of anything so idiotic in your life? That's never going to happen. It couldn't. He says he's going to prove I'm unbalanced and not in a fit state to look after Jenny properly and that everything I told the police about him beating me was nothing but a pack of lies. Someone like him claiming stuff like that? It's a sick joke. Sure, all you've got to tell them is what he did to her and they'd locked the bastard up for years. You're forgetting I never reported any of that at the time. They'll make out I'm only bringing it up now because he's threatening to take the case. No, they won't. Stop worrying, for heaven's sake. All you've got to do is let them have her medically examined and he won't have a leg to stand on. But it wasn't like that. He didn't... I mean... He made her do things to him. There's no way of proving anything. Will you, for the love of God, stop worrying about him even getting something like that off the ground? It's just another load of old cobblers he's dreamed up to get at you, seeing as he knows damn well he can't do it any other way. Besides, even if he was thick enough to go through it, any judge with half a brain would tell him to take a run and jump for himself. And just how is he going to go about convincing the court that you're not capable of looking after Jenny? That's a nonsense for a start. You don't know him like I do. He can be very convincing when he wants to and turn on the charm like you wouldn't believe. He denied point blank he ever laid a finger on me in his life whenever I had to phone the police. But what about the bruising and the black eyes and so forth? Oh, he had ready-made excuses for everything. According to him, I was always the one who lost it every time we were having an argument. Anything that ever happened was the result of him fencing me off when I was attacking him. Uh, And you think they believe him? I don't know. Maybe they did. Because I never once pressed charges when they asked me if I wanted to. I suppose I should have when I was... Oh, I don't know. I was always hoping things would get better between us. That was before I found out about Jenny. Just think how much of a fool I was. What am I going to do? Ah, look, stop fretting for a start. They'll know damn well you didn't come running to a place like this just for the fun of it. Marge is right. Nobody comes in here unless they have to. What if he does go through with it? Hire some smart-ass lawyer to cross-examine us in front of the deciding judge? I couldn't face anything like that. I wouldn't know what to say if he started throwing all sorts of loaded questions at me they prepared beforehand. Look, nothing like that's going to happen. He's trying to mess up your head, that's all. It's easy for you to say that. You don't know what he's like. 
Once he gets his teeth into something, it's all but impossible to change his mind. And he has these warped 18th century views about women that nobody would ever believe anyone could hold. Oh, but he's cute with it. He never expresses them in public. Just belittles with me with them whenever he's in the mood. Outside the house, he's your typical, typical, typical charismatic liberal. Inside, he's he's a monster. And now this. Oh, God almighty, as if Jenny and myself haven't been enough all through it already. Stop <gasps> thinking like that. Do you hear me? You'll drive yourself bananas otherwise. That bastard is never going to get his filthy paws on Jenny again. How do you know whether he is or he's not? God knows what will come out if he starts dredging things up from my past. What do you mean, Amanda? I went through a rough patches in my teens. So? What's the big deal there? If you didn't show a few shapes at that stage of your life, they'd be asking you what the hell was wrong with you. Sure, I was knocked up with me first kid a few days short of me 19th birthday. And that was a good while back. If you held out that long where I come from now, you'd be looked on as a late developer. Nobody gets through their teens unscathed. I tried to kill myself once. What? And he knows all about it. Oh, I thought I'd found my soulmate when I met him. And I told him everything about my breakdown. Every last detail. He appeared so understanding and sympathetic at the beginning of our relationship. I just poured out my heart to him. He's the f- one of the few who knows I was in a psychiatric hospital for almost a year. That was then. This is now. There's no point in dwelling on it any longer. It's behind you. But don't you see what's happening? That's the reason why he'll definitely go through with it. Everything will be brought out in the open and they'll make me out to be the crazy and unstable one and all the rest of it. And then if they do hand over Jenny to him, I just wouldn't be able to take it. I just know I wouldn't. Now listen to me, Amanda. Calm down. Everything's going to be all right. He's only bluffing. All you're trying to do is make me feel better. You two are in much the same boat as I am. You wouldn't be in here otherwise. We're all powerless when it comes down to it. They can do what they like and get away with it nine times out of ten. All the talk they go on about equality and all the rest of it. It's nothing but a lot of bull. Circumstances change with experience, Amanda. We've learned the hard way. We're not doormats any longer. But we are. It's everywhere. Look, Amanda, you're overwrought right now. But all men aren't twisted bastards. Okay, the three of us drew short straws. But there are millions of women out there who are getting along fine under their own steam. Judges, doctors, politicians, managing directors, writers, artists and everything else besides. Not to mention the hordes of married women who are perfectly happy with their lot. Talma's right. Just because we were unlucky enough to wind up with the shitty end of the stick, it doesn't mean things can't get better for us in the future. Look, I know you're trying to be supportive, but it's only talk. None of us can do a thing to stop him taking the case if that's what he wants to do. And it makes my blood run cold to think that he even has a 50-50 chance of succeeding. He'll never get away with it. Even if he is a twisted, stubborn pervert, at least I can try to do something about it. I've got nothing to lose at this stage. 
I should have thought of it earlier. What would that be? I'll go and talk to him. Try and reason with him and beg him not to go through with it. You never know. He might even listen to me for once in his life. Do you really think that's a good idea after all you've told us about him? I have to. Don't you see that? I have to do something. I can't stand by and let him take Jenny from me without doing anything whatsoever, can I? I'll go down on my knees to him if it needs be. Whatever it takes. Amanda, maybe you're being too hasty here. I don't think you're going to get anywhere that way. You've told us enough already to show us. You'd be only wasting your breath. It isn't a good idea to try to appeal to someone's better nature when you know already they don't have one. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. What choice do I have? I can't just hang around here every day wondering when a solicitor letter is going to arrive. I'm going to see him before that happens. I'll go crazy otherwise. I'll go tonight. That's what I'll do. This very night. You're not afraid? After all the threats he's already made against you? Of course I'm afraid. But I don't care what he does to me now. He can kill me if he likes, if it will prevent him ever getting Jenny back. Don't you see? I've got no choice in the matter. I have to try. I still think you'd be wasting your time. I don't care whether I am or I'm not. I don't care about anything anymore but Jenny's welfare. Nothing else matter. If he doesn't listen, he doesn't listen. But I'm going anyway. Oh, be careful, Amanda. As soon as you get there, and before you open your mouth about anything else, tell him everyone here knows exactly where you are and why you've gone there. And tell him the police have been told as well. I'll do no such thing. I'm going there to try and get him not to go ahead with the case. And you're telling me to walk in and antagonise him with the first words out of my mouth. For God's sake, he's a short enough fuse as it is. He won't listen to anything I have to say if I start off with that sort of an attitude. Look, I know you're concerned about me. But I've told you I've gone beyond caring what happens to me. If I can get him to change his mind, that's it. But you've already said that when he gets hold of something, he won't let go of it. Can't you, for God's sake, leave me alone? I'm going through with it and that's final. And don't you dare say anything to the police or anyone else. Okay, Amanda, you've said what you came here to say. And like the gentleman I am, I've listened patiently. But you really didn't think I'd fall for all that whinging and begging, did you? Not that it wasn't a good performance, I'll grant you. But the wheels are in motion as we speak. And that, my dear, is that. You brought this on yourself, you know. No point in trying to deny any of it now. You should never have run away with her like that. And there's not a damn thing you can do to stop me either. None of that put-upon little girly stuff will wash with the judge once your history's been unfurled to show what a deranged lunatic you really are. Please don't say that, Paul. Look, I'm See, the trouble with even with sane women is that they don't know what they want. 
On the one hand, they go on with all this feminist crap about men being chauvinist pigs. And the next thing you know, they're queuing up for boob jobs and facelifts and liposuction and all the rest of it to make themselves more attractive to the same swine they maintain should all be boiled in oil. And these are the ones who are supposed to have all their marbles intact. So what sort of a chance has a spacer like you in the coming confrontation? Am I right or am I wrong? Well, don't I even get an answer? Oh, in one of those humours, are you? Prepared to sulk all night just because you know you're not going to get your own way, I suppose. But don't worry, I'm familiar with that programme. You can't help your mood swings any more than I can my natural inclinations. Oh, I know it was hard for you to get your head around something like that, but there you go. Thing is, you never even tried to understand my persuasions when you found out about them. You can't point the finger at me in the other direction, though. I took you for what you were, knew you were a screwed-up suicidal headcase, and I still married you. And what thanks did I get for it? Oh, sweet. First sign of my little peccadillo came to light. You hightailed it without even having the courtesy to talk it over with me. Now, that wasn't very loyal of you, was it? Paul, please, I can't... I'm not finished yet. And seeing as you're in one of your silent sulks after your initial heartfelt appeal, I'll give it to you straight. I've hired the best lawyer money can buy. Now, you can take me on or hand her over. Whichever way you go, you haven't the hope of hanging on to her. Both of us know you're a screwball. And when everybody else will know, too. Well, surely you have something to say to all that. (laughs) For Christ's sake. Instead of sitting there blubbering like a baby, are you going to make a fuss about me getting Jenny back home where she belongs? Because if you are, I'll do for you here and now if I have to. Have you nothing further to say on the matter after all your pathetic pleading earlier? Well, if that's the way you want it, that's the way you can have it, you stupid mad cow. There! There! Put some sense in it. Go here! Out of here! Out! early this morning, Thelma. So? No reason. You usually stay in a bit longer, that's all. I don't have a choice with a mob of mine. I've already dished up their first course. Spaghetti again. Porridge, would you believe? My, but you're full of surprises, Marge. And how did it go down with them? Cold and lumpy. But to tell you the truth, I wasn't in the mood to care one way or the other. I told them if they started their usual moaning, I'd dump it over their heads if preferred to take it that way. And? No problems after that. They knew I meant it. Want a fag? Not now, thanks. Um, are you planning a party or something with all that bread? That's for the troops. Even though they insist it's tasteless and not worth their while even eating, they'll swoop on it like a pack of wolves as soon as I put it in front of them. I hope you left some for Amanda's toast. Oh, Christ. I never even thought of checking. Thanks be to God you reminded me. Marge, what do you think you're doing? What does it look bloody well look like? I've used it all and I'm scraping the butter off of some of it before she gets here. You know, we really should have waited up last night and found out how she got on. 
Don't you think the last thing now she'd have wanted at a time like that was us hanging around like a couple of busybodies, gasping to hear what happened? I suppose. But I was worried about her all the same. Did you hear her come in? Ah, of course I did. I made it me business too. I sat in a chair behind me bedroom door, earwigging, until I was sure she'd arrived back. I wouldn't have been able to go asleep otherwise. Are you certain it was her? Of course it was her. Her room is opposite mine, remember? And I took the liberty of using the keyhole to make sure who it was. I only saw her back, but it was her all right, satisfied. I'm sorry I haven't any video evidence for you, but the corridor was a bit too dark to get decent pictures. Oh my God, Amanda, what happened? Everything's fine. Fine, fine, fine. There's nothing to worry about anymore. Everything's under control. Amanda, what are you talking about? You've been beaten black and blue. How could everything be fine? Now don't tell me you're going to make a fuss over a few bruises here and there. They're nothing for heaven's sake. And let me tell you, they were well worth it. They brought me to my senses and made it re- me realise exactly what I had to do. Of course, I did receive some help along the way. A sign of sorts. Amanda, what the hell happened? When? When you talked to him. As Marge just pointed out, he beat me up and threw me out. But did he even listen? Oh, yes. At the beginning, anyway. In fact, I think he even enjoyed listening to everything I had to say. Not you understand it made the slightest difference. But as I've said, at least I know now you are right about not playing the doormat anymore. I've already taken the first step in that direction. If you don't mind me saying so, Amanda, oh God, you're not making an awful lot of sense. But that's where you're wrong. I've never felt more sensible in my life before. Everything's as clear as crystal to me now. Apart from warning me I'd be wasting my time, It's you two who talk the most nonsense around here. And what makes you say that, Amanda? Don't worry about it. I know you can't help rabbiting on the way you do with all that hope and glory stuff, even in your situations. It's not really your fault, I suppose. Trying to look on the bright side, though, you know full well it's a load of tripe. But then, you haven't reached a true state of comprehension yet. You're still scrabbling about in the maze looking for the exit. But I'm not. Not any longer. I've been twisting and turning and running into cul-de-sacs for so long now, looking for the way out. I never thought I'd discover its location in such a simple manner. But guess what? I ran slap-bang into it last night on my way home. There it was. A bright golden outlet fashioned by the stars and beckoning like a beacon in the night sky. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life before. And hovering above it in silvering letters were the words that made sense of everything. The message I'd been waiting for. The solution to it all. And and what might that have been, Amanda? Why, duty, of course. What else? Branded above the escape route in six-foot-high sparkling capitals. 
It was so simple and obvious and plainly the right path to take. I'm amazed I hadn't come to the same conclusion without having it spelt out for me like that. But there you go. I suppose everyone's individual road to Damascus is signposted in different ways. It just depends in what direction you happen to be looking when yours pops into view. I don't know about you, Thelma, but this is scaring the hell out of me. Oh, I even think I understand what she's going on about. You don't suppose she... God, I'll never forgive myself if she's already... Now, what on earth are you two whispering about over there? I hope you're not talking about being behind my back or anything. Uh, uh, not a bit of it. I was just saying to Thelma that I almost forgot to leave any bread for toast for yourself and Jenny this morning. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, that's all right. Besides, you won't have to worry about anything like that anymore. Go on, check, Marge. Hurry. Hurry. Amanda, have you anything you'd like to tell me now that we're alone? What would you like to know about Thelma? My wonderful life? Or are you referring to more mundane matters? But I really don't have to tell you anything, do I? I can see by your face you already know. But why, Amanda? Why? Haven't you been listening to me at all? I was only doing my duty. Everything's going to be fine from here on in. And I'll be joining her soon. We'll be safe and secure at last. But more importantly than anything else, we'll be together. Isn't that the most wonderful scenario you could possibly imagine? The two of us together, with nothing more for us ever to worry about again. Free at last. Oh, God, Marge. Oh, God, no. No. Ah, oh, Marge. There you are. Oh, my God. And thank you for carrying my darling to me. Oh, oh no. Just look how peaceful she no. is now. Isn't it wonderful? No. No more tears. No, no more hurt. <laughs> Mommy's made everything all right, hasn't she, oh, sweetheart? God, no. I'm only sorry it took so long. Try and forgive me for that, Jenny. But I really didn't know what you were going through. I honestly didn't. And please don't worry, my precious. You won't be alone for long. Mommy will be with you soon. I promise you. Please, Amanda, don't make it worse. It's don't, all please. right, Thelma. No. You're not going to get no. upset, do you hear me? And that goes for you too, Marge. Don't look so please, downcast. No. Don't make it's it worse. It's all for the best. Please. Wipe away those tears, both of you. And just think of how happy Jenny and myself are going to be. Oh, but you can't, Amanda. You just can't. But I must. I must. Didn't you hear me promise? Everything's going to be lovely oh God, soon. No. So Please. not another word from either of you. It's not going to change anything. Please. No matter what you say. Oh God. I'll take her now, March. Oh, oh. oh no. Oh Hush, little baby. Don't say a word. Thank you. Open the door for me, please. Okay.
You have been listening to a radio drama entitled A Woman, a Dog and a Walnut Tree by Dennis Bourne and performed live by the Near Drama Company on Near FM, broadcasting on 90.3 FM. Marriage was played by Fran Kyo, Joe by Joe Murphy, Thelma by Anne Lockney, Michael by Peter Pryor, Amanda by Mary McNamara, Paul by Michael Sharp. The announcer was Carol Dempsey, the narrator, Neve Murphy, production assistant, Deborah Gaffney, sound supervision, Gavin Bourne, and the play was directed by Declan Cal. You are listening to Near FM on 90.3 FM. The final part of our programme this evening it is a discussion on the topic of domestic abuse. Remember, if you have a query for our panel, just text us on 87 or phone us on 01-867-1190. And I now hand over to Debbie McMahon, who will facilitate the group discussion. Um, and thanks to our near drama group uh, with that outstanding performance, A Woman, A Dog and A Walnut Tree. Um, and now we're going to have a panel discussion on domestic abuse. So I'll start off by introducing the panel. Uh, Linda Smith, um, good evening to you, Linda. Good evening. And Linda, you're um, the helpline manager of Women's Aid. Also to Phil Power, who is the volunteer coordinator with the Rape Crisis Centre. So I'll start off by um, asking you the work you do in um, Women's Aid, Linda. Okay. Um, Women's Aid provides a free phone helpline um, to women who are experiencing abuse. And we also uh, provide one-to-one support services through the helpline. Um, The helpline also um, provides a language line for women whose first uh, language is not English, but um, it's a it's an excellent service. I have to say, I'm I'm actually still a little bit shaken by that yeah. now, and <laughs> it was powerful. I have to say, absolutely. So um, yeah, just to say that it's it's really crucial that women know about services in terms of what they're experiencing, and sometimes it takes a long time for women to realise actually what they're experiencing is abuse because you know relationships obviously start off um, as as very loving and there's a courtship period as well and everything is happy it's as it should be and very often um, it's 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 it it can take you know a number of years before women actually realize that and by that time you know they're in a relationship they've invested in this relationship they're going somewhere and abuse um from from what from what we know um will only show itself when there's a real investment in that long-term relationship so if if a couple move in together if they become engaged if they get married there's a security that this is this is a concrete relationship and it's only then that maybe the perpetrator will actually show his abusive side so it's very crucial you know as as we heard through the play that you know women can identify it as abuse but they're trying to process what's going on here and you know it's to know that the sooner they can access support the easier it will be to actually come out that the other side you know the three women you know who are depicted in the play you know they're they're in refuge as as a result of years of abuse and what they've experienced and you know that's very often um 
the last port of call, basically. Mm. Um, women are, you know, you, we, we talked, what was identified was guilt, <coughs> shame, fear of, of, of going to family or friends. And that really keeps that abuse alive. It keeps it in isolation. It gives him more power and control over the situation. And she's fearful of breaking out from that. Exactly. And Linda, um, domestic abuse, like most people might think it's just physical there's an awful lot more of different types of abuse. Yeah. Can you explain to people what the different types of abuse? Absolutely. In terms of our helpline, um, we did launch our stats uh, recently and 64% of our calls, um, so that's the, the, the majority of our, our of our callers would disclose that there's emotional abuse. So, you would, you know, you've heard it in the play, it was... It was emphasised very clearly, the name calling, the put downs, you know, um, talking about uh, the mental health aspect of it. You know, who's going to believe you? You're mad. You've got a history to show that, Mm. you know, he played on her vulnerability there. And, you know, very often perpetrators will actually see a vulnerability in, in a young a young woman and think okay I, I have her now I I know you know I mean he did he did um, show that he he was supportive of her and he understood when she was going through that difficult patch but he ultimately used that against her in the end and you know emotional abuse is very hard to, to see you have to explain it and women you know, doubt whether they're going to be believed or not because they've heard it so many times from him. You're not going to be believed. They, you know, they talked about the, the charismatic, charming person in the house or outside, sorry, and in the house it's totally different. We've heard, you know, through the the drama there, you know, the the reality that we felt it. Yeah, we actually felt it. And, you know, we may as well be part of, you know, what we've been told on the helpline, because it's exactly how women perceive the abuse. It's it's frightening. It really is. And Linda, I suppose some women out there, if they're not being physically abused, they probably do question themselves. Am I being abused? And as yeah. we said, and we heard earlier on, emotional abuse is like the hidden hurt. You know, so there is, as you've said, so many types of abuse. I'm going to move on to Phil now and talk to Phil for a few minutes. Phil, um, you're, as I said, volunteer coordinator with the Rape Crisis Centre. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do there? Okay, I'm part of a three-person department um, that recruits and trains and supervises the volunteers who work the helpline. And our helpline is a national helpline. It's a 24-hour service. And um, we also provide personnel who accompany people to the sexual assault treatment unit in the Rotunda Hospital to provide emotional support at a very difficult time in a person's life. So our volunteers are on call 365 days a year as well. And would you find a lot of women probably wouldn't report sexual abuse? Absolutely. It's, 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 a, very, um, it's a very hidden and uh, shame. It's a shameful experience for people to go through and it's very difficult for women to talk about situations like that. And often it is part of a whole package of abuse that's going on in 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 uh, for a woman in her life and it's it's really um when women finally leave abusive partners they they do have multitude of issues that they need to address such as housing and finances children's needs 
physical health concerns, all sorts of issues. And it's often when all those issues get sorted that a woman will maybe address the intimate violence that she has experienced. For example, um, out of 557 clients in therapy in the DRCC in 2012, over 10% of those had experienced intimate partner sexual violence. And also last year in 2013, there was 13% of clients had experienced intimate partner sexual violence. It's hard. It's it's very disturbing after listening to, um, as we said, um, the actress, uh, you know, the, the play. A and powerful play. It, it was powerful. It really yeah. was outstanding. Um, and as we've seen in the play as well, it's every walks of life. Yes. You know, it's yeah. one of the sort a solicitor, a doctor and a builder. Yeah. So it affects everybody, you know, in all walks of life. I'm going to talk a little bit to Declan now, who directed the play. And um, Declan, outstanding. It's all I could say, an absolutely brilliant play. And it brought tears to my eyes, especially at the end. Mm. But to know what people out there are really going through, like mm. we just spoke about this before, Declan, and saying, really, do we know what's going on behind closed doors? Well, I'm glad I didn't have to talk until now because I was I was very mm. moved by the whole uh, situation. <clears throat> it's extraordinary to think that this is going on in our society tonight. Yeah. I mean, the, the figure that I mean, Dennis Byrne, the man who wrote this play, spoke to about, spoke to me two years ago about this project, and to be honest with you, he was going on about it. And he's a good, very good friend of mine, and I've directed a lot of his stuff, and I didn't really believe him to be quite frank until he started producing information to me. And I'd freely admit that my background uh, has excluded me from any information in this area. And I've been horrified as I've done the research, the background to it. I've been, I'm ashamed to say that I know nothing about it. And it's, it's extraordinary to think that one in four women in our society today have, are suffering domestic mm-hmm. abuse. One in four. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, it's 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 under it's under the, the horizon or under the counter, whatever way you like to, to talk about it. So when I met Dennis and he was passionate about this uh, project because he felt very strongly about it. Um, I know he's listening in tonight, and uh, I hope that we, we we've, we've done justice to him. Um, but the the thing that really came across to me was that number one, how little we knew, and when the group started doing it first, the first time we did we read it. I nearly fainted with with because although I read it from a director's point of view, when when the actors mm-hmm. invested and in, you know even the first reading, yeah. it was absolutely frightening. I mean, I was I freely admit I was I was shocked and I'm still shocked even mm-hmm. after all the weeks of rehearsal we were doing it. So, the objectives we had we had two objectives and were very very clear. One was to inform people about this problem, and I worked on the basis that there are not a lot of people like me out there. And I know the cast felt the same way, that we know nothing about it. That's number one. So we wanted to tell people about it. But more importantly, we wanted somebody who was suffering this situation to do something about their situation. <coughs> you know, to make that step, to make that leap. It's a huge step, obviously, but that's what we're trying to do tonight. So we started off and we said to all the, the actors that we wanted to change us. If we change one person's a mindset mm. to do something about this it'll be a success so i hope to god if anybody's out there that they'll do something about it so i hope we've we're not we're not trying to solve the problem we mm. can't all we can do is mm. maybe hold up the mirror and reflect a problem uh, mm-hmm. that's happening mm. in, in society mm-hmm. and this is a combination of the playwright obviously who, who saw the problem 
and has been put it together. Um, I mean, you said to me before the show, Linda, that you thought that he really captured mm. the essence yeah, did, yeah. of some of the problems. You know, which I'm absolutely thrilled him. because I was scared stiff that that maybe we thought we take an angle or an interpretation mm. which would which mm. just not would be would not be correct. But yeah. when I met you tonight, you said I kissed you with delight because <laughs> I was so delighted that 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 we got it right because we'd hate to give it a wrong slant. You know. Yeah. No, definitely. When I read the script, you know. Um, it it resonated with me in terms of the support that I've given women and the support that we on the helpline give the women. Mm. Um, basically, you know, the, the feeling that I have is that the play has brought the reality of what women go through to life. And I, I mean, I can't put it any plainer than that. Mm. Um, I know that part of the play was, you know, ar- around the women in the refuge. But even even at that, wasn't it such a relief that women could actually come together in solidarity um, from all different walks of life yeah. and, and, and actually have a common denominator and understand actually true experience uh, where each were coming from so there was great solidarity and support mm-hmm. systems and concern and you know worrying about risk in terms of Amanda actually going back to the house you know given that he'd made so many threats already so um, yeah I, I think that women realise that you know if support is there it's it's actually just knowing where to go for that support and also to realise that there there are people and there's professionals and there's services like Women's Aid and like the Dublin Rape or Crisis Centre who, who understand the dynamics of abuse. You don't have to go into the small details. Mm-hmm. We get it. We get it because we talk to women mm-hmm. every single day and they tell us about those experiences. So, you know, it's it's not that you have to dig really deep down. We provide a space for women to explore. Something has happened to me last week and I, I'm really confused about it. And can I talk to somebody there about it? And yes, you can talk to somebody. And by the end of that call, you will realise that, you know, you've been listened to, you've been heard. There might be some clarity at the end of the call that that resonates with that woman, and she's a little bit clearer where uh, you know what's really going on in that relationship. Exactly, yeah. Linda. If there's somebody listening tonight yeah. who is knows of somebody who's going through this, yeah. how can they help them? They can listen to them. They can support them. They they should just be there for them. If they're aware of the services like Women's Aid National Free Phone Helpline and the Rape Crisis Centre <coughs> Helpline, that, you know, it's a free service. You can access it in private. Uh, you don't have to make an appointment. Give them the number. We will support them. But just be there for them. Don't judge them. Let them know that you're listening, um, that you're not going to push them to make a decision. Because realistically, if the abuse is ongoing and it's been going on for a while, it's not going to suddenly end very quickly. So it's a matter of managing that and and just really liaising with the proper services who who are there to help and support. One little point I'd like to add that that came up in the research um, that was under the, from the European report yeah. that was done earlier in the year that the one of four figure that's what, mm-hmm. where it comes from that Niamh mentioned in, in her um, stats earlier but the thing that really struck me at that point was that the majority of people who are in this abusive situation do nothing about it I find it hard to do something about it. Phil, yeah, have you it's very found difficult I, I would just like to reach out to everybody that's listening tonight that 
is affected by anything that they've heard mm. to really break the silence, really reach out and, you know, ring the likes of the Rape Crisis Centre. Check it out. If something isn't sitting right, they're not even sure just to pick up the phone and we will be non-judgmental. They can talk about anything. It will be totally confidential and just even just check it out, even to dismiss it if it's not abuse. And if it is abuse, to take the first step forward towards healing. And I think what resonated in the play was the powerlessness that the women feel, you know, the hopelessness and the powerlessness that they're in and that, you know, the, the power and control was with the perpetrators and I think that's something that that will resonate with a lot of people. And do you find Linda and Phil there has been a rise in domestic violence? Well in um, our 2013 figures we did have an increase um, Mm. in our stats, uh, number of calls in and disclosures and so on but again like it's the emotional abuse that's impacting the women the most and you know callers will regularly say to us you know I'd rather a beating, unfortunately, because yeah, it's mm-hmm. you can show a bruise. You, you know, you don't have to explain it. So there's that sense of I've got to explain something that I can't articulate myself when it's emotional abuse. Yeah. It is Thank all you. about the put downs. It's all about being made feel useless. It's it, you know, there's an attack on the on your confidence mm-hmm. as a woman, your your self esteem, esteem, your self belief, and that really, really hits hard. On women. Could I ask, as an observer of, of this whole situation, um, I remember reading or hearing rather Professor Ivor Brown, the, he was the Eastern Health Board Chief Psychiatrist yes, yeah. years ago, and he always spoke very sensibly, I thought, and down to earth. And he always made the point that some of the best carers for, for people were next door neighbours or friends and neighbours, you know. Yes. But society has changed enormously, go back, say, 20 years ago to now, where in the, in 20 years ago, more people were at home, whereas now both people in a partnership have to work to pay for a mortgage. Therefore, the society has changed. Is this an has this is has this an, an impact that people the fact that people don't women in particular don't talk about it as much is that a factor or is it was well, it always there? I do I do believe that you know a lot of people. Um, keep it to themselves because of the shame Shame, you know they're taking on the shame and they're taking on the blame and if you have been brainwashed day in day there's a guilt thing then absolutely yeah yeah. yeah. and you know if you're made to believe that you're no good and you're made to believe it's your fault and you're made to believe you're frigid if you don't comply you know all those things or you or if if um if you don't kind of have sex against your will then the guy will go somewhere else to get it and i suppose one thing in abusive relationships is to remember that you know and um, consent is a voluntary agreement in a relationship where there is equal power to engage in a particular sexual act and just, in just, domestic say, violence, just say that again because I think it's very well, important consent is the voluntary agreement in a relationship okay. where there is equal power to engage in a particular equal sexual power, okay. act gotcha. and you know, where there's an abuser, there is never equal power. And a lot of women may say, I have a choice tonight. I have a beating or do I have have sex as they see it? When in actual in actual fact, it's actually sexual abuse because it's not much of a choice. OK, mm. very good point. Okay. And I'd say as well, a lot of women, as you say, with emotional abuse, probably think to themselves, well, I'm really am not getting abused because I'm not physically been hit. I've no bruises. I'm not I've no stitches. So maybe I'll just keep it to myself to protect my children, not put, you know, my children through all this and just put up with it. And I'd say a lot of women do that for mm. years. 
before mm. they finally go and get help. But yeah. you know, realistically, you know, when you talk, when you look at Telma's, um, you know, her her story, it's the happy marriage. You know, how how do you actually tell people that you're you're living in this environment and who's going yeah. to really believe you at the end of the day? Because perpetrators of abuse, they they have personas inside the house and outside the house. And it's really difficult for for a woman to explain their experience of that. Yeah. Do you know? And for Amanda's situation, really, you know, it was only when the when the abuse was perpetrated on a child, child. that was the 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 last straw. That was, you know, the thing that was beyond the beyonds that forced her to do something about Mm. it. And women, you know, from that perspective, when they see a real threat towards their children, they act very quickly. They they get themselves out of that situation. That would be, you know, our experience dealing with women. But they manage the abuse because they're trying to understand it. They're they're hoping that he's going to change. There is always that hope. There's there there could be a promise that he's going Mm. to change as well. But when there's children involved and there's a real threat to the children, they get out. Sorry, Debbie. I should have said earlier on that two other speakers were supposed to be here from Evenest, the local uh, women's refuge and from uh, Dublin Simon but some emergencies came up and they, and they couldn't attend um, the other thing that I want to make clear is that when we started this project that we weren't um, uh, excluding men because I mean there's a problem uh, right right across mm-hmm. the point so we, we, we this play was, was written by a man who was mm-hmm. concentrating on women mm-hmm. because it was a majority problem yeah. and I think we got a query and I see there about uh, is there a refuge for men I think the one of the best places to contact there is Amen, Amen. that organisation yeah. um, I think it's in 06 I think they're, they're not based in Dublin I think it's in 06 I think it's Navin, isn't Navin it? correct um, so just, all you have to do is Google just go and uh, the, the full information will be given there mm-hmm. so the same advice I suppose for, to- for women as for men mm-hmm. it's a lesser problem but I mean Debbie you interviewed people in your as own program as far as I know yeah there is no refuge for men in Ireland at the moment um, when I did interview um, um, somebody from Amen there wasn't at the time whether one has opened now I don't know but um, um Hopefully, you know, there will be one. And we know there's one for women right beside us here in Coolock. And uh, as we spoke a little bit before this, we kind of said, um, I thought it would be the first port of call where a woman, if she's in dire straits, if she's, a, a, you know, an abusive husband and has to get out with the kids, would go there first. But you said it's probably one of the last places yeah. they go to. Yeah, because um, I think women tend to, um, particularly when there's abuse, they tend to keep the family unit together. They they try to normalise the situation in terms of keeping the normal routine for the children yeah. because, it, you know, if they have to make a move either to some to a family or a friend's place, they've got to start to explain maybe why they're not at home and it can be very difficult depending on the age group of the children. But, you know, you know as the women spoke <coughs> about refuge in the play, it's not, an, it, you know, you, you're not going to go there lightly. You don't go there for a holiday. It's a, it really is a last resort. And it's an essential resort for women. There's only one third of the required refuge spaces right. for women in Ireland um, in comparison to the EU. And that's something that's problematic. It's problematic from um, from our perspective when we take calls from the, in the helpline um, for women who are actually looking to access refuge accommodation for their and their children's safety. Mm. And nine times out of ten, 
then the difficulty is that the refuges are full. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's been an ongoing problem for a long time. So really it is about looking at safety planning with that woman to make sure that, you know, if she doesn't have a refuge space to go to, that she she, she knows what she needs to do in terms of liaison with the Gardaí. Don't hesitate to ring 999. Support is out there. Liaise with a friend. Go to family. Do you know, just ensure that their safety is, is paramount. And their children. Yeah. Uh, can I just say um, also that if anybody has been affected by, you know, the uh, around child sex abuse issues yeah. tonight, um, the Rape Crisis Centre is an adult service for both men and women who have experienced child oh, sex good. abuse. Okay you know, as children Excellent. and just, you know, in case anybody wants to ring the helpline for that tonight. OK, and we're going to give the numbers out before yeah. we finish up. Okay. The Rape Crisis Centre is a 24-hour helpline. Yeah. Women say it is a 12-hour helpline. Yeah, line. and we're, we operate from 10 in the morning until 10, 10 in the, the evening. Night. So again, if anybody is impacted by any of the content, which I imagine if they were listening, they will be, yeah. um, that they can give us a well, call we've as just well. got um, another text in. What happens when you arrive at a refuge and what support is there when you leave? I know you are not from the refuge. We have got a yeah. person here, but you have but we, had experience. Yeah, we do. Yeah, you? yeah. So can you just so give if, an insight? If somebody arrives at the refuge, um, they could be lucky, and there might be a room available. Um, they'll be taken in. They'll, you know, their 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 situation will be reviewed. They'll be supported initially. Do you know? Um, if they don't have accommodation, what they'll what the refuge workers will do is they will ring around other refuges, okay. and they will ensure that that woman, you know, is safe. That 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 there's that there is a safety net there. They'll do their utmost to make sure that she she gets to a safe place. Okay, and in terms of somebody who spends time in a refuge, yeah. and they're, they're maybe they're sorted over accommodation, is there support facilities for that person and family afterwards? Well, generally, um, when you go through the refuge process, there, you know, there's a lot of emotional support because they're 24 hour service. So women can get the practical and emotional support that they need there. Um, most of the refuges do provide outreach support services and there are domestic violence support services who also provide outreach support for women who, you know, leave refuge and who, who need that ongoing support, maybe just to... To, to adjust to a new way of living if they're deciding to okay. live independently. So, mm. I must tell you a funny story. It's actually amusing. I never knew where the refuge was on the Kilmore Road. Never knew it. I'm living and there's here. a reason for that. Declan. Well, maybe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I, I really pr- talk about being garmless. I'm living in the area 40 odd years and I just never knew it. And my daughter, who's a guide leader, was doing something with her guides and she asked me to drop something in. And I said, Where? I never knew it. I'm living in 43 years here. I never knew. So that's it. that's the problem that that's the barrier that we were trying to break through yeah, yeah. the yeah. idiots like me I suppose who didn't just that did not know about this problem you know and it's it's on our doorstep and that's the thing I wanted to get across to people it's not someplace else it's here in our own community well I would like to yeah. say that you know it's you can't say idiots like you there's people like you out there who are raising the issue. You're oh, putting yeah, it on the agenda to talk about nice it. Do you know tonight, what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, we need to be talking about this issue. Okay. We can't mm-hmm. keep it in silence. You yeah. know, it's driven by shame. So let's talk about it now. Yeah. You know, after this, talk to family or friends, you know, openly yeah. contemplate your relationship. And if you're in doubt, 
access the support needs. We actually run a campaign in Women's Aid every year in February. It's called the Two and You campaign. And realistically, it's aimed at younger women who are in dating relationships. Now, they could also be in married relationships from the age of 18 to 25. And um, we have a health check questionnaire on our website if anybody wants to go on to that and really it's just answer very simple questions and it's the answer is going to be either a b or c depending on what the impact of the relationship is on you and it just gives you a a quick synopsis of if you're doubting it's a you know an abusive relationship relationship, it may give all all the websites are really very very good we're going to give them now now, because we have to finish up we could go on talking for another half hour but we have to finish up now uh, to say that we do provide counselling in the rape crisis centre for those that have been recently raped or those that have been sexually assaulted in the past as well as and that's for men and women absolutely oh fantastic okay um, Women's Aid can you give us out the phone number for that I can indeed it's um, 1800 341 900 Okay, so it's 1-800-341-900 and is there a web address? There is www. www.womensaid.ie Great, okay, dot IE. And the rape crisis number? Um, 1-800-77-8888 That's great, one 800 And we'll be giving out these numbers throughout... Uh, we have notes that we've given out throughout the different programmes. And, and also, Amen, yeah, yeah um, we got a text there from a man looking for help. Uh, the Amen helpline number is 046 902 3718. I'm not sure whether that's 12 hours or 24 hours, but um, try it anyway. That's again 046. Is it office hours? 046 902 3718. Can I just say congratulations to everybody involved yeah. in the play well tonight? Well done, Ex- yeah. It's heart wrenching and outstanding performance by um, the yeah. drama group. And thanks once again to Declan for being our director. And we'll have to finish up now. Thanks once again to Linda Smith here from Women's Aid and also Phil Power from the Rape Crisis Centre and also to Declan Cahill, Cahill who is director of the play. Pleasure. You have been listening to an Air FM production highlighting the problem of domestic abuse in our society, presented by the Nair Drama Company. The programme was produced by Declan Cal. If you have been affected by domestic abuse, please talk to someone about it. Do it today. You can contact Women's Aid now on its helpline 1800 341 900. This helpline is open 12 hours every day from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. They can also be contacted by email helpline at womensaid.ie. Thank you to everyone who contributed to the making of this programme. Good evening.